right, you ready? All right. Yep. All right. Let's go for it. Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. Um, I wanted to divide this project into two parts. One with my personal, uh, you know, with Steph and the media stuff. And then I wanted to do a State of the Warriors sort of edition with uh, a couple of faces of Warriors Twitter. Uh, folks who have like insight as to, you know, the eye test to analytics uh, stats and who can provide uh you know, game to game analysis. Uh, so I, today I have, and for the future, I will have a uh, Jim Park and, and Warriors Muse on here. Uh, what's up, guys? What's going on, Dre? Thank you for having us, Dre. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to, so, so right now, right, we're, we're with the Warriors are at, we're 23 and 24. That's our record. But where do you feel the team is at from a, contending standpoint um how would you kind of take in this season as a whole and where do you think we need to go from here like kind of you know answer any combination of those questions like wh- what are your thoughts and this goes for anyone um I mean, you want to go first or should i go first um yeah i can go first um i just think right now we're in a really weird spot because it's kind of like we don't know if we want to be good or not. We've shown lots of flashes of us doing well, but um, like like the Brooklyn game a couple of days ago, we were kind of choking it towards the end. It's just I, I'm still optimistic, honestly. It's just a matter of when we'll switch it up. But you know, the question is if we will switch it up. But I think given our core, given our track record, given what we uh, what we did during the finals last year, I think we'll be fine. But it's definitely concerning right now, and things have to be done. So before Jim goes, I want to ask, um, when you say things have to be done, do you like, are you speaking from a roster construction standpoint? Are you speaking from a internal, uh, like and when I say roster construction, I'm talking about buyout potential trade options, or are we speaking more so internal, figure it out in terms of the balance uh, defensively or a combination of both? Like, how do you, where do you see that, that balance and idea? Yeah, um, I think... It's more towards the latter, but uh, it, it could help um, a trade or a front a front office. I mean, sorry, not front office, but like uh, a roster acquisition might might help. Uh, might help um, a you know our rotation come playoff time. Um, if we're gonna go eight nine deep, maybe another big man could help. But um, I think just in terms of the game plan, because our approach, like for maybe twenty four to thirty six minutes of the game, have been okay. But like the last twelve least recently uh we just have to figure that out for sure what are your thoughts jim what do you think about that uh okay so this season has been just a am i allowed to curse on this do whatever you'd like okay so it's pretty much been a shit show right i mean the warriors just can't find any kind of consistency whatsoever you think they're going to go over 500. You think you're, you think they're about to go on a run. Um, you get everybody back. And it's just like, there's no sense of consistency. And when Curry and Wiggins were missing, somehow the team managed to go on a run. Uh, and they, they managed to stay like 500, right? Which is pretty much the same as what the Warriors are doing, even with Steph Curry and Wiggins. And 
They've lost the last couple of games with those two in it. They won a game with those guys out of it. So they're just all over the place, right? And I feel like Kerr is kind of feeling a little desperate to find answers because they've pretty much been doing the same thing over and over and it hasn't worked. And the saying goes, um, you know, it, it, it's crazy to expect different results doing the same thing, right? So Kerr decides to put Jordan Poole into the starting lineup uh, and it just doesn't look right. I understand trying something different um, with the right intentions, but a lot of bad things happen when Jordan Poole enters that starting lineup when Clay and Steph are both still in the starting lineup. It's great when one of them is missing. It gives the Warriors more um, overall balance, right, from a defensive standpoint, offensive standpoint as well. But you look at what happened against the Nets, for example, and this small lineup, it started the game 10, uh, the score was 17 to 10. The Warriors were down 17 to 10 to begin the game. And then in the third quarter, they started the game down 12 to 3. And then towards the end of the game, they went with a small, small lineup again, with the exception of Andrew Wiggins being replaced by Jonathan Kuminga. And ultimately, that lineup down the stretch went 4 and 13. So do the math, and the small lineup overall was a minus 25. So defensively, it just doesn't make any sense because Clay Thompson is, you know, he's a natural shooting guard, right? So when you shift him over to small forward because Jordan Poole has to be at the shooting guard position, now you're a little smaller. And the Warriors are already small as it is because Clay Thompson is not a great rebounder. He's, he's, you could say he's a below average rebounder at his own position. And yet you put him at small forward. And small forward requires more rebounding. And they're not getting that from Clay. You saw that, uh, you know, in the early part of the first quarter as well. Uh, the one particular play that stood out was Kyrie Irving had three straight shots because he got two offensive rebounds with Clay kind of watching and not boxing out properly. Jordan Poole also kind of just watching and letting Kyrie just do whatever he wants in the paint. It doesn't make any sense. And then you put Andrew Wiggins at power forward. And that's not his natural position either. He's averaging less points this season than Steph Curry is. Statistically, Steph Curry and Draymond are the best rebounders out of that small no, you, lineup. You mean rebounds, right? right, right. For sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. What did I, yeah, I meant rebounds. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. So, no, so, and, and you're right. And so I want to speak on that, right? So the um, that lineup that you're speaking of, right? So for the season, right, in, a, in 123 minutes, which is about a two-and-a-half game sample size, they're a minus 8.3 net rating. And so the sample size, obviously you want it to be a little bit, you know, a little bit larger, play some more games. But the way it's trending, uh, it's definitely a heavy negative at this point. Um, and we kind of saw it in the playoffs last year where in spots and in spurts, it, it could work out, right? Because it's explosive, but you're giving stuff up. You're giving up size, you're giving up rebounding, you're giving up uh, you know, wing depth, you're giving up, uh, you know, a bunch of necessary factors, uh, and you're leaning into offense, right? I also want to point out that from from this season, right, and, and there's two ways we can look at this. There's the game-to-game basis, like, like Jim uh, just explained, 
And then there's the like more holistic, and and I know I'll give Jim and and, and uh, Manu the opportunity to to explain on the uh, to expand on this further. But there is the holistic like entirety of the season and what exactly like what the story of the year is, right? And so last season, right, we start off eighteen and two. I know everybody loves to throw that, you know, that great start out, that great uh, that great record out. And what people fail to realize is like the reason this season has shook shook out the way it has. There's so many factors. We can't chalk it up to one thing. So early in the season, it was Wiseman. Then it was, you know, oh, we didn't replace Otto and GP2 properly. And then it was, oh, the, these rotations, the, the youth movement, the, and then it was clay. Clay had to figure some stuff out. And then it was, oh, you know, Wiggins gets hurt. Steph gets hurt. And then there's injuries. So it's a combination of things, right? Like we lost free agents. We lost key guys like Otto and GP2. Those are key guys. I'm not going to pretend they aren't. But like starting off the this, this season, right, we, with the rotations we had, the experimentation with the young players like Wiseman uh, going, you know, with that five-man bench unit straight off the bench, not starting our second unit with any starters. Like that, that was an issue. Um on top of that, injuries, right, with Steph and with Wiggins missing, like, over a dozen games, that hurts. The, acclimating the free agents of Dante and, and Jamichael, like, that also wasn't, like, that took time. That wasn't something that was seamless right away. League conditions, which I think is the most important thing, right? Uh, and, and I'm going to speak on this further because the league conditions, I think, is really the, the, the primary factor as to why we are where we're where we are from a record standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, um, all of these things I think have contributed to like diag when when we diagnose like why our record is what it is, when we diagnose like why our defense has fallen off, and like it, I think it's a bunch of things, right? I think it is roster construction. I think we have a f- way more flawed roster than we did last year. When you lose Bielitsa, when you lose like obviously Iggy's back, but like. Iggy didn't play. Iggy played the the beginning of last season, like one through twelve, last year when we started eighteen and two. That chemistry was seamless. One through twelve, like from the jump, it was Bielitsa, Iggy, Otto, GP two, uh, Damian Lee, JTA. All these guys slotted in. These guys are vets. These guys are seasoned. These guys know how to play, uh, and they understood the system. So when we talk about like the idiosyncrasy, right? I like using that word because it's. It's kind of this seamless chemistry, and it and it right from the jump last year, and we we just hit the ground running. This year because it it was started off really choppy, right? Three we started off three and seven, zero and five on the road. Uh, obviously the Wiseman experiment did not help, but Jordan Poole was tasked to lead a unit that was scaffolded by Otto by GP two from po- a point of attack standpoint, from a connector standpoint. Like we lost a lot of those guys, right? So the roster construction isn't perfect. Um, but at the same time, right, like league conditions, I think that's the, that's the bigger story here, right? Like for me, um, I think from an 82 game standpoint, the league has caught up. I think if you dropped us in the playoff setting today, I think we're fine. I actually think we'd run through every team without it, without any issues. Like we, we'd lose a game or two, but it's no series is going past six games like it did last year. I think from an 82 game standpoint, the way league conditions are, and we can get on, we can get to this, uh, expand on this further. But like, 
and and the architect the architect behind this kind of argument is uh I don't like is Urkel right so like um on Twitter at Urkel Spaces I want to give him credit because he's the one that kind of you know has broken this idea down and this is like I think this is really the primary issue because when you look at free throw rate when you look at uh pace when you look at how teams are scoring seamlessly how defense has been watered down and bogged down uh, offense has been encouraged the way in the skill gap, like teams. Now I'm watching teams without their best players. I'm watching teams, you know, the skeleton warriors we've seen, even with our, with, with the warriors, like we can come in and compete against anybody, any fully healthy team, because on any given night, you know, you hit, you get hot from three, you, you get a couple stops, uh, you know, like the way variance has played out this year, I think is, more so than ever. And there's, there's stuff to back that stuff up. Uh, there's stats to back that as well. Um, and then I also want to point to the fact that Clay was struggling mightily in the beginning of the year, right? Like Clay was the major story and the bench was also one of the worst benches in the league. It, it was the worst bench. It would, that's, it was the 30th ranked bench, like by far. Uh, now over the last 15 games, we're the fourth best bench where we have a plus 2.3 net rating that's a that's pretty significant right so ever since clay has gotten more acclimated and 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 his legs underneath him defensively he's been better offensively he's hitting his shots and he's moving way better on both ends and then now the bench is better like we're watching steph and wiggins be the players who are struggling right and steph is just he's just not hitting certain shots Wiggins is just on the perimeter. He he's settling for jumpers. Shots aren't falling. And I think that, you know, being able to close these games out, that's what's hurt us. Uh and I just think at the, at this point, like I mentioned, 1 through 12 last year when we started off the season, everything was on point, right? Like the defense off the in terms of like the principles that we ran from from a offensive standpoint, everything was seamless. This year it's like Clay starts off really slow. The bench is in, is is the worst. It bench in the NBA, but Steph starts off hot. Wiggins starts off hot. Those guys get hurt. Clay and the bench now are incredible. They've been great the last month and change, but now Wiggins and Steph are struggling. You know, with their you know with their with their shot defensively, they they're still figuring some stuff out. So like, and then now Steve is is tinkering with the starting lineup. So I just think there hasn't been a sense of stability or sustainability with what we're doing. And the league conditions are like the assumption that we'll go back to where the playoffs were last year is a big thing. Because if we, if the, if we can get, if the playoffs are ref the way it was last year from a physicality standpoint, allowing players to defend, not calling touch fouls, uh, you know, encouraging more of a defensive slanted type of uh you know game overall that type of thing that favors the warriors but like this up and down like shooting threes pick and roll all that stuff and we can get into that as well like that to me is not what the warrior strong suit is and that's why like we're dropping so many of these games is because like all these teams that they're getting to the line they're getting more shots up they're rebounding at a high level and we just don't have the front court depth from a roster standpoint. We don't have like the personnel from a defensive standpoint, all that stuff. 
but also the league conditions are what's enabling this. Like from a defensive standpoint, we lost Otto, who's been who's a connector. We lost GP two, who's point of attack. Dante's still serviceable, and we still have certain dudes who can play like solid defense. It's the problem is we're not on a string, and the league conditions have not encouraged a more defensive, you know, like I said, like a defensive type of game. And and I think in the playoffs when things kind of get back to normal, that's what I that's when I'd expect like. That's why I think we're more of a 16-game team uh, at this point. Like, 82-game season, you're seeing why we're resting our guys. Like, it's just tough. It's a tough grind. Um, and that and that's just how I think you can – and it's tough to contextualize the season through one thing, right? Like, it's a bunch of stuff. Um, but if there's anything like and, – and one more thing before I let uh, either of you guys go. And this is, I think, like the big picture here. When we look at uh, parity, right? So – People like to talk about like, oh, the no team has started the season 23 and 24 and won the championship, right? And so understanding like if the Warriors, for the Warriors to win the title, they would have to do something that's unprecedented, right? Like they'd have to do something that's never been done before. But the parity right now, like, like I said, the skill gap has closed, you know, dribble, pass, shoot. On any given night, anyone can be anyone. Like we've seen it. Uh, the parity today in the NBA that it's unprecedented as well. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys know NBA University, but they showed a graph, uh, and basically what it depicted was at this point, at this particular juncture in the season, we've had we are experiencing the most parity in the NBA since 1984. Like, we're at a point where this is why like the West looks like what it like. The, the difference between being the 13th seed and the and the fifth or fourth seed is like a handful of games at this point in the season. We're like 50 games in. So, you know, understanding like it's all connected, right? And last point, the defensive rating right right now for uh, – I think Memphis is like at a 109 or a 110. They're the best defense right now. That's first right now. Last season, that would I think that would rank – around top 10. So like if that doesn't go to show and, and and then we can use even Boston as an example who's fifth in defense right now. They were first last year. And you can point to Rob Will missing games, that's fine. But from a personal standpoint, they didn't really lose anybody. And if you're watching Boston on a night to night basis, like they're struggling to guard certain teams too, the the younger teams, the teams that attack the basket, they draw fouls like they're it's just tough to win on a night to night basis. Um because teams are just running the ball up and down, shooting the ball at a clip that's difficult to guard, and it's just hard. 80, 82 games, it's hard. 16 games is different because it's more in the half court, slower pace, fewer possessions, all that stuff. So that's how I'd contextualize it. I made a, a lot of points, so if there's anything you want to take from that or if you want to go your own direction, uh, go right ahead. And this goes for either of you guys. Okay. So, you know, one of the things about parity, right, is that I think more than anything, the Warriors have been incredibly lucky to be in the position that they are in. They're 23 and 24, and they're sitting in the 10th seed right now, right? And they're also like, what, three games away from being the fourth seed, right? So it's not going to take a lot to, for them to kind of get back up, up to the top of the standings. Uh, and part of the reason for that is more than anything else, 
especially the West, has been decimated by injuries. You look at all the teams across the board, they just had injury after injury after injury. The Grizzlies had a bunch of injuries. They didn't even have JJJ to start their season. Uh, the Pelicans, decimated by injuries. Brandon Ingram has played like 15 games this season. Zion Williams has missed a chunk, chunk of games now. Uh, the Clippers, we all know what's going on with the Clippers. They're sitting guys out like all the time, constantly. There's no consistent, consistency for them, right? And the Suns have been decimated by injuries. They're missing Chris Paul. They're missing Cam Johnson. Um, is that his name, Cam Johnson? Um, Devin Booker. And even the Lakers, you know, missing AD. And it's just, yeah, I feel like the Warriors have lucked out. And this was a major opportunity for them to kind of be higher in the standings, but they haven't been able to because they've not been a consistent, they've not been a good team. They've been inconsistent. And so I think the parody has more to do with the fact that a lot of teams have been injured and the Warriors simply have not been able to take advantage of that. So it's very frustrating. So, yeah, no, and I think that's a fair point too, right? So, like, this is why I say, like, most things when we talk about um, the Warriors or anything, like, life-related, like, most things are a multivariate analysis. This isn't one thing you could just chalk up to, like, one variable. One thing is the is the root cause of any given result or outcome. Like, there are a bunch of things, right? Now, the challenge is to un- is to decipher which is the largest or which is the most significant uh, factor. And I think you're right. Like we've dropped the ball from a closing standpoint. We've struggled in a myriad of ways. Um, but I think the the ultimate issue right now is like we have to figure out a way to balance out league conditions and from in, in the future, like understanding that in the playoffs, we're going to like we're going to lean defense regardless, just like we are now. So that's the issue. Like, I think league conditions are the biggest issue. I think looking at like the free agents, looking at um, that we acquired and lost, I think those are a factor. And I also think, like you said, like parity, I think the, the way teams play, the way teams run and gun, all that stuff, that's played into it for sure. But I think also like injuries, we've dealt with injuries as well. So I think the injury bug and, and, and that variance as well, that's applied to us. Like That is true. It's just that the Warriors are also still playing 500 basketball even when everybody was healthy. Uh, and then on top of that, they sit guys out during the back-to-backs. Clay can't even play a back-to-back. So there's definitely some factors uh, there too. But, you know, let's talking about defense uh, being their biggest problem. What do they rank? They're ranked 18th defensively, right? So that's far from championship level defense they were number one in defense even without Draymond they were so good in the first 20 games last season they were just lapping other teams to the point that by the end of the season they were still tied with the Celtics as the best defense in the league right and for them to be 18th this year they are fundamentally broken right so so we have to look at what is the biggest issue from a defensive standpoint well one of the biggest issues is rebounding the Warriors consistently have trouble getting uh, defensive rebounds. They, they, they actually, you know, they'll do okay in terms of getting stops, right? But then they allow all these offensive rebounds. And that's, that's been one of the key issues, even against the Celtics a couple, a couple of games back. They, how many offensive rebounds did they allow? Like 18, right? So 
they had the they had that game in hand. They should have won that game absolutely. It should have been a beautiful road win. Instead, you know they they give up all these offensive rebounds, give give teams life when they should be dead, and that that's one of the biggest issues. And so when we talk about roster construction and their inability to rebound, um, that's clearly they need a they need somebody who can kind of fill that gap, right? That who can kind of come in and play either a Draymond role or a or a Looney role. Uh, more capably uh, on both ends of the floor, but especially from a rebounding standpoint. Now they have Jermichael Green, but Jermichael Green, you know, he can rebound. But the problem with him is on the defensive end, he tends to fall asleep. He tends to ball watch and things like this. And that's why he has kind of not been able to play that center position for the Warriors uh, on a consistent basis. At some point he was benched, right? So mostly they've been going with Lamb throughout the course of the season. And the problem with that is Lamb can also, you know, stay connected for the most part on defense, even though he kind of, you know, sags off his man too much. He gives up way too many three-point shots. That's that's frustrating. But the biggest problem with him is his inability to rebound. He's a 6'6". He's not the most athletic, so he's not the best rebounder. So that, that's been a huge issue. And the Warriors would be wise to try to find a piece that can, can fill that gap better than... Anthony Lamb. Anthony Lamb has been very serviceable for a two-way player. He's uh, he's played very respectably to the point that Steve Kerr relies on him down the stretch. Um, But he's clearly not been the answer to their issues. And and that's a good point, right? So, like, the Anthony Lamb thing of, well, Lamb missed this rotation. Well, Lamb, you know, create, like, this turnover. Uh, He didn't box out here. Like, we can nitpick what, like, what Anthony Lamb isn't but the like I also want to acknowledge like as a two-way player he's exceeded expectations this year like he's been more than we could have asked uh so yeah like and I agree with you though like Anthony the thing with Lamb is is that from in the playoffs my whole apprehension with him is like do I trust he won't make enough mistakes like because there's a point where you make too many mistakes and then it like another team goes on a run and then it's like you lose those bench minutes like pretty badly and it's tough to recover. So like I like Lamb as like our 10th guy. If like we need so Kaminga I think is has really carved himself an eighth man spot. I think right now we need like an like a ninth man who can like teeter between like a 7 through 9, right? Like Maybe Dante doesn't have it one night. Maybe Kaminga's in foul trouble. Who can you slot in that's reliable? And that's really what it comes down to, sustainability, reliability. Like, Anthony Lamb as our 10th guy is, is, is like, incredible. But right now he's, like, our 8-9, and it's tough because, you know, you kind of just depend on him to to be a serviceable front court player. And he is 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's not necessarily, you know, he can't rebound at a high level. He hits threes. He do, you know, he's aggressive. He he uh, you know, he tries on defense, but he he you know, weak side help, he makes mistakes for sure. And he you know, makes effort plays, but at the end of the day, um there is a gap. There is there is a deficit there. So, I agree. And I also want to acknowledge like this year like the the way the this fan base has like and and everybody's entitled to like a difference of opinion, but the way I kind of view it is, there's a part of the fan base that thinks we don't have enough to win, 
and I can respect that. Like, I understand where they're coming from, but like, I I just don't agree. Like, I think I think right now, if we if we step into the playoffs today with our eight man rotation of Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, Jordan, Dante, and Kaminga, that's our eight. I think that we have enough to win. Like, I I I think we have definitely enough to win. The difference between this year and last year, I the this is how I would put it is that our margin for error this year is way thinner than last year. So, like, last year we could sustain the injuries to Otto against the Mavericks or GP2 against the Grizzlies. But, like, this year, if Dante or Kaminga or whoever it may be, like, someone goes down, I don't think we can recover. Like, I think that's just... We kind of saw with Dante in the beginning of the year, like, this was really early on when he had that hamstring injury against the Kings early. Like... We went like two and eight. We've gone like two and eight without him. Like Dante is like, and if you look at all the net rating stuff, uh, I think he's only like a plus two on the season. But like those numbers are kind of skewed because he played with like a bunch of like difficult lineups to navigate through early on, and he played with certain players that it was just difficult to to find a rhythm and to to be a positive in that situation. But next to Stephen Draymond, he's like plus double digits. He's like a plus 11, plus 12 next to Stefan Draymond. That's a big thing. Like that's, that's a real thing. Uh, and he's only like six, four. And I know he has limitations, right? Like I don't, I didn't like him guarding Jalen Brown. I didn't like him guarding certain dudes, but like overall he can shoot the ball at a good clip. He pushes the ball as a secondary playmaker in transition. He can make plays. He he's a, he's a unselfish player. Good to great type of guy. Uh, he, he offers, he doesn't offer rim pressure, but he can create a little dri- dribble penetration, kick, driving kicks, and he rebounds well, and he blows up opponents' offensive sets because he's off the ball. He's one of the better defenders we have in the NBA. As like when it comes to like just reading stuff, deflections, kind of just blowing up plays overall. He he understands like he, his anticipation chops, his ability to like read plays before they develop. He's just a really good piece. And look, and even if you look at Kaminga, right? Kaminga's been on the ascension. And this has been my whole my whole point is like this team has failed to to really establish continuity from and when, and I'm talking about from the beginning of the season till now. Like beginning of the season, the starting five was the best five man unit in the NBA. They've dropped to like fourth at this point. And the bench was by far the worst. Now they're like the fourth best in the last 15 games. Now the starting lineup has dropped, like I said, and that has to do with Clay. Uh, well, not Clay, but Stefan Wiggins missing time. Clay has now actually taken a step forward, but it's again one through 12, finding that balance and chemistry that we came out the gates with last year. That's the biggest issue right now. And you're just seeing guys file in and out of lineups, and it's tough to balance it. And I think Steve's job is difficult. Like, he has to navigate, like, who am I DNPing tonight? Who am I, you know, who's good for this matchup? Should I play the young guys because, you know, certain certain higher executives and front office officials are in my ear telling me I got to play this guy? And you're seeing him, like, just completely change the starting lineup 50 games into the year. That's not, like, a good sign. Like, that, that is a red flag, right? Like, I'm not going to th- pretend it's a good thing. But it could be a good thing, like – that's also part of it too. Like there is the fluidity. There is the, 
idea of like letting things play out, letting things marinate, letting things kind of sort itself out. And then we kind of will figure out what we need to do. But I do think that I hope that Looney can slot back into that starting lineup soon because he is a pillar of like what we do defensively. And I like Jordan starting against a lot of matchups, like certain matchups I definitely do. But, and I, I don't mean a lot of matchups. I mean like certain matchups, like specific matchups, because for most matchups, I'd rather have Looney out there uh, just because he can switch as a big, he can rebound at a high level and defensively he's, he's pretty sound. He's, he's uh he's just a force out there and he can screen, he can dive. He gives us a little, you know, a different element that's if Wiggins is hitting his shots, I think Looney is more passable uh, from an offensive standpoint. I just think Wiggins struggling the way he has, you know, since his return, it's just made Looney that much more, it's just made it that much more difficult for Looney to be uh, effective on that end. And, and you're seeing it, right? Like we just struggle because the paint is clogged and Wiggins isn't hitting his perimeter shots and it just makes it difficult to run an efficient offense that way. Um, Right. I feel like, uh, part of the reason why Kerr is trying this small lineup and bringing Looney off the bench is to just completely kind of stagger Draymond and Loon as much as possible because they're the only anchors. They're the only guys who are capable of playing championship anchoring kind of defense. And so uh, I think that intention is not bad. But uh, again, that small ball lineup, it, it just... Particularly when it's Steph, Poole, and Clay together, I think that's a bad kind of three-guard lineup. Uh, it creates um, a disadvantage for themselves from a defensive standpoint and from an offensive standpoint because when they play that lineup along with Wiggins, Curry kind of gets lost in the equation. And Curry is the best offensive player on the planet. And so you shouldn't be ignoring him for too long. But you have four guys in the starting lineup that are 20-plus points per game scorers, Right. So when there's a bunch of guys that want to score and can't score, uh, it's easy to kind of forget the hierarchy of what, how the offense needs to begin and who makes the offense easy for everybody else. And that's Steph Curry. And so, again, uh, using the Nets game as an example, uh, you, you know, in that second quarter, they scored 39 points. And for the majority of that second quarter, this is something that I don't know if this is a big change that they're going to go with for the foreseeable future. But especially with the bench unit, they've been playing a lot of high pick and roll. All right. And that's yielded a lot of positive results, 39 points in that second quarter. And then they scored 44 points for the rest of the second half. So that's disaster. 18 points in third quarter. And it's just, there's no lack. There's just no uh, sense of hierarchy in the offense. Uh, That's a, that's a part of the problem. And so, um, I think potentially you have a better solution in the starting lineup if you want to go smaller, if you want to go more offensive centric without giving up too much defensively and still allowing uh, this, you know, staggering the Loon and Dre lineups. And that is to keep Poole on the bench and start Dante. Because like you said, Dante is a connective piece. And one of the key things about him starting is that he's a great rebounder, Right. So you don't really lose much from a defensive standpoint when you have another guy like that constantly helping out. And so I I really think the Warriors are just so close, right, from just one connective piece that that is going to make sure that 
there are no gaps along the way. And Dante can certainly fill that for you. What the Warriors did last year was they had two options in terms of closing lineups. They had Gary Payton come in to play alongside Clay and Curry, right? And then Wiggins and Draymond. That would be one of the finishing lineups. Another finishing lineup would be not Gary Payton, but Otto Porter Jr. next to Draymond, right? And Wiggins goes uh, to the small forward position. That's also a great lineup. Ideally, the best finishing five for the Warriors is going to be Wiggins at the three because he's not a natural you know, power forward. That's not an easy position for him to play. So if you have somebody who's a little bit better rebounding more consistently, a little more size that can play the power forward position next to Draymond, that is the ideal finishing kind of lineup for the Warriors. They don't have that right now. Uh, the, th- the next best thing that they can go to is to put Kuminga at small forward or power forward and Wiggins and interchange the the two between small forward and power forward and Kuminga, you know, as, as much as he's shown major signs, he did really well against the nets uh, as a pick and roll uh, threat. He was major, you know, he just, if you have him going downhill, it's really hard to stop him. So I really like him in the pick and roll action. And that said, he's, you know, barely 20 years old. He's a second year player. And, to rely on a second-year player uh, to be a part of your finishing lineup come the playoffs, and you're in the, let's say, even the finals or something like this, and you're relying on somebody who's so inexperienced, even in that Nets game, as good as he was, in that final minute and a half, there were a couple of possessions where he really hurt the Warriors, right? From an offensive standpoint, uh, he, I mean, I'm not going to blame him too much for that, but... He went in ISO mode against uh, Royce O'Neal, and he traveled a turnover in a critical time in the game. Uh, the other one was defensive, which is a bigger deal. Uh, he he kind of lost track of who he was guarding uh, on the switch, and he ended up kind of being uh, in no man's land, and that forced Jordan Poole to split the difference between two shooters. And uh, Watanabe, uh, you know, he made a really great play. He cut down to the basket and um, provided a pin and screen against Draymond and Joe Harris was wide open for the three. At that point, the Warriors were up three. The score was, uh, I think it was 112 to 109. So it was imperative. You know, this is crunch time. You need to get a stop. At, at worst, you, you give up a two-pointer. You don't give up a three-pointer and have them tie the game, right? But that little miscue defensively, th- these are the attention to detail stuff where if you miss that and if you don't execute, then your defense is like, it, it's reliant on not making those kinds of mistakes. And if you make those mistakes, it's understandable for a young player to make those mistakes. However, the Warriors are gunning for a championship. And so that kind of inconsistency is tough to rely on. You need just complete and utter solid play on both ends of the floor and everybody needs to be in unison and stay connected and uh, they fail to do that and that's part of the reason why you know ultimately the nets outscore them four to 13 in the final you know three minutes or so and that that's a recipe for you know that's a losing recipe so it's tough i i, I would prefer that kuminga be more of a ninth man uh, just because he is absolutely usable uh, it, as a poa and as uh, a finisher uh, in the paint, uh, especially in the pick and roll. Uh, however, he, he's still an inexperienced player and relying on a second year player to be your eighth man, that's a lot. 
you have to be absolutely elite. And he's still learning how to play. So the Warriors putting that kind of pressure on him, especially if they decide to go smaller and put him at power forward, where he's also not used to playing that role, playing that position, being able to rebound over the giants of the game, or just guys who are more you know, consistent in rebounding and things like this. It's a lot to ask of a 20-year-old. And that's part of the reason why I think the Warriors, it's crucial that the Warriors pick up another piece that is more reliable uh, to play a power forward position as a uh, part of the closing lineup. Uh, no, and, and, and what you're saying right now is 100% accurate, right? Like, this is what I mean when I talk about margin for error. Like, last season, our margin for error, we, you know, if... Otto was struggling, you could go with Bielitsa. If Bielitsa was struggling, Damian Lee. If, 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 if Damian Lee was struggling, you still got JTA. And, and GP2 was right there, point of attack, solid. He was like a plus 17 on the season, like for sure. And that's what I'm saying, though. Like our margin for error is definitely thinner than last year. And that's why I do think like another wing, preferably like a defender who, you know, rebounds at a, at a decent clip, like that's the archetype of player I think we do we should look to acquire. The thing here is, is like, I also think there's the angle of if Steph and Wiggins are struggling the way they are, if certain guys are like not up to par defensively, like Jordan or whoever it may be, like it's tough to win games when your guys don't show up. You need your core, you need your top six to be elite. And I just think right now, like they were elite to start the year, right? The best starting five uh, from a net rating standpoint, uh, in the league, now they've kind of slipped a bit. And I think, again, that balancing act, that ability to, uh, you know, have a bench who can sustain and be a net neutral at a minimum, but also with, you know, a dominant starting lineup, that just hasn't connected at any point in the season so far. And I think, I and, that, and I 100% agree, right? Like, adding another piece would help with that margin for error, right? Like, Adding another piece gives you that flexibility for Steph to have a bad shooting night. Gives you the flexibility for Andrew Wiggins and Klay Thompson to com- to combine for 14 points like they did against Brooklyn. Uh, but I, we also, I think, because those guys are playing the bulk of the minutes, I think they just have to figure it out too. So that's why I think like we have enough to win the title. I think adding an extra piece gives us that room and margin for error so that if any one of the core pieces struggle or have an off night or you know foul trouble whatever it may be like you have a guy who's reliable who can provide you with whether it be you know defensive prowess you know sharp rotations being on point rebounding closing out possessions or like you know a dude who can you know switch out there whatever it like whatever that looks like uh you just want stability and I think right now we just have we've had instability since game one um I also want to point to like a lot of, you know, some part of the fan base uh, has, you know, pushed for a, a, a trade uh, for, for Jakob Pertl as, as one of the names. And Jakob Pertl, like Jakob Pertl is a good player, right? Like he he's a solid rim protector. Uh, he's a very good rebounder. He's an elite offensive rebounder. He has a really good float game. He's just a, he's a very good passer uh, at the center spot. He can screen. He he moves the ball well. He's you know he plays drop uh, defensively. Like he does good things and he's a good player. I do think um, 
I just think like trading for a big who, by the way, is on an expiring and and will not resign with us because we just can't afford him. I think that angle, in addition to the fact that like trading for a center is would be us adjusting to other teams. Like we've historically, like Steve Kerr said a couple weeks ago, like Andre Iguodala is our third big, and I think that's part of him. Like that's a cry for help for like. We need more reinforcements. Uh, I don't know if that means a center or front court help or whatever. We were, you know, Jamichael and, and Wiseman were out at the time, so that didn't help. Uh, but if we're, like, part of the, you know, that fan base that, that's that's asking for a trade and for Pirtle, whoever, like, we, our bread and butter, you know, our claim to fame, our secret sauce was always forcing teams to adjust to us. Right, our small ball lineup, our small ball unit with Iggy at the four, with Draymond at the five, uh, you know, like Draymond at the five, like that's that's our bread and butter in terms of closing out teams, starting starting off playoff series. Like, I just think straying away from that, and you made the point earlier about staggering Looney and Draymond at the five. Jakob Pertl is not better than either of those guys at the five. Now, Jakob provides relief, I agree, but. Come playoff time, like, we're not here to provide relief. We're here to, like, play these dudes. Like, Draymond and Looney have to play the five at all times in the playoffs regardless. That's 24 minutes a pop. Now, you could slot them, slot Draymond at the four in some lineups, whatever. He'll end up with his 34 to 36, you know, 32 to 34 minutes, whatever. Looney, though, like, he can play the five for uh, around 20, 25 minutes. I just don't see the use of playing Yaka Pirtle 10 minutes in the playoffs. Um, and uh, that would be, again, Looney can switch. Looney can switch out there on the perimeter. He's a serviceable, like he can do more things defensively. Jakob's a good defender. He's just limited. Like he has to, you have to put him in drop. You have to, you know, you can't switch out with him. He struggles with, you know, certain you know, fouling and what have you, um, verticality stuff. Like, and when I say struggles, that's like relative to Looney, right? Like Looney is just better at that stuff. Um, and again, Jakob's a good player, but I just think we have to like we have when when we make these trade proposals, we have to look at wings. Like wings are the answer here. I don't think a big or obviously like nobody's asking for a guard. I I've not seen, but like we need to get a guy who can. Preferably a 3-4 who can play some small ball five. Now that, what I just described is Otto Porter, right? And those dudes are tough to find. Those dudes are not easy to like trade for or, you know. And we try to do that with Jamichael, right? Like we we, we signed Jamichael with the idea that he's a power forward who can play the small ball five and stretch out the defense, rebound well, be sound defensively. And obviously, you know, he had the injuries and he's been out the lineup and the rotation. He's coming back, but uh, I think right now we have good front court relief in terms of Wiseman and 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 Jermichael. Are they pot net positives? Of course not. They're not net positives, but like we're not losing games because they're playing right. Like necessarily, I think we just need to find more continuity overall, one through eight. And I think their five to ten minutes of relief is not what's costing us the, these games now if you want to say early in the season when we started off three and seven and zero and five on the road and all and that whole disaster class like yeah like they their minutes were detrimental 100 percent. i just think right now 
I don't think those are where the issues lie. I think we need to get everybody one through eight on the same page. Wiggins, Steph, especially who've come back from injury, get them into rhythm. And uh, and the other thing about Pirtle or or whatever big that people want to sign uh, or trade for, he can't close lineups like. Closing lineups, like you like you mentioned earlier too, is like a big thing, right? Like GP2, Otto, these guys can close lineups. Dante, Dante can close most lineups. Uh, but after, and Kaminga, Kaminga can close lineups too. Now, do they have flaws? Kaminga, he may, may, may make mistakes because he's a younger player, not as experienced. But I like Kaminga. Like I think he provides an element in terms of rim pressure. I think he was good last night in the fourth. Uh, he made mistakes for sure, but thats I don't think he's why we lost. Uh, he was definitely one of our best players. Dante, I've seen Dante close lineups before this season. He's been very good. Just getting rebounds, driving kick, being sound, being solid, uh, just doing the right things and being a stable force. And like, you know, just hitting timely shots, making the right reads, that type of thing. And I just think you're right. Like one more guy like that, I think gives us the margin for error and the cushion in our rotation so that like we can afford to have an off Steph night or a bad shooting Wiggins night or clay shoots four for 17, but we can sustain it. Right. Like that's kind of the angle that I'm looking at. Um, I want to make it clear that Kuminga, they they can absolutely use him, but they shouldn't close games with them come playoff time. That's very risky uh, to, you know, rely on him to close games against the most elite teams in the league. There's a reason young guys don't really succeed come playoff time. Their flaws are exposed against the elite elite teams, right? And so the idea of going with that is just, that doesn't sound good to me. Uh, now, the other issue is Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole is, he's supposed to be in that closing lineup, but if he's in the closing lineup, they're too small. They've already shown over and over again that they become a defensive liability with him in the finishing lineup or as a starter next to everybody else and benching Looney and stuff like this. That doesn't really work. That's a huge problem. Uh, so right now, basically, Dante is the best guy that they can close games with. Uh, the most reliable kind in terms of vet knowing not to make any kind of silly mistakes that's going being to solid. contribute. Right. right, right, right. Being solid, being, being stable. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I agree. Like Kaminga is still what? What is he? Twenty years old? Twenty one? Yes, like, he's twenty. He's super young. Uh, but I do think you know. what? I do think. I don't think he. I think by playoff time, if he gets enough burn, like if he can stay healthy, obviously, uh, he's coming back from that foot sprain. If he can, you know, get enough burn and get enough minutes and experience, I think come playoff time, there is a world where you can close with him in certain situations. But I agree. Like this is why I'm saying. Margin for error, like Kaminga has flaws for sure. Jordan Poole has flaws for sure. Uh, even Dante has flaws. That's why I'm saying, like, adding another piece is like another option. It's cushion. It's margin for error that we can, you know, that we could um, acquire and and add to this team from a rotation standpoint. So you can look at different options. You can look at different lineups. You can look at different combinations, especially at the end of games, and say, well, you know. Kaminga adds rim pressure. Let's go with him because we can attack this matchup. And defensively, he can do this. Or Dante is a you know can can make the secondary plays. He can drive and kick. He can 
do a myriad of things, uh, you know, on and off the ball. And and defensively, he's sound. He moves his feet. He's aggressive, but tempered. Like, and then you look at Jordan, right? Jordan gives you shot creation. Jordan gives you uh, a, another guy who can space the floor, a guy who can put the ball on the floor, attack closeouts. Uh, and but he leaves stuff to be desired defensively, right? So that's what I'm saying is like we want a guy who is a little bit more well-rounded, a little bit more solid, can rebound, can defend, hit the occasional shot. But yeah, like everybody, everybody off the bench has flaws. So I I understand your point. Like it, it is well received that whoever we're closing with, if it isn't Kevon Looney, is going to have flaws. So that's why I'm saying like shoring up the rotation would give us that margin for error because right now Steph is struggling a bit, Wiggins is struggling, and those are our two best players. You know, Draymond as well, like Draymond, Steph, Wiggins, those are our three top three guys. But Wiggins and Steph particularly are just struggling. Uh, Steph has been good. I just think Steph at times has just had hot and cold streaks, stretches of just, you know, just – Getting into rhythm, it's just, you know, he's getting back from injury. We understand it. With Wiggins, his shot just hasn't fallen. Uh, he's shooting, like, last I checked, 34 from the field and 25 from three. I mean, it's just not great for him. But defensively, Wiggins has been great. Um, Wiggins has been one of our best perimeter defenders, defense, probably our best defensively since he's come back. So, yeah, like, it, we need those guys to be what we know them to be like we they need to be the two best players on a contender adding another piece allows for that margin for error so that if they do struggle and even clay or jordan Poole, whoever we can afford to have those nights and that's what gp2 and Otto gave us right like that's that's how i see it um i want to ask i have just a couple of things i want to touch on but uh when i was breaking down the league conditions earlier what are your I, I don't know if you really went into depth on that. What are your thoughts on that? Like when I talk about like you watch all these teams, right? High pace, dribble pass shoot, guys can get hot on any given night. Uh the parity, you know, of, of the league in ter- from a skill standpoint. And it's just tough to beat teams in this eighty two game grind. I think for the Warriors, given the way the refs call it, free throw rate, the the just kind of the atmosphere and the uh, p- the pace of the game. Like, the possessions are more, they're greater, the pace is faster, the, you know, it's, it's a full-court game, and it's just difficult to, you know, our guys, our core is, most of our core is like, you know, Draymond's in his early 30s, Clay early 30s, coming off a couple injuries, uh, Steph is in his mid-30s. Those are our three, you know, that's the big three for us, right? And then you got a couple dudes who've been in and out with injury. Looney's had a burden the last month or so. So that's been difficult for him to navigate with Jermichael and Wiseman out. So you look at all these factors, and it's just tough, man. When you face these athletic teams, look at the Magic, right? The Magic came into our house. They beat us. Okay, we were undermanned, but even when we went to Orlando, they beat us early in the year. Look at Detroit, like... It's tough to run with these younger teams. Uh, look at even OKC, right? They beat the breaks off of Boston the other night. They dropped 150. Um, and even on a night-to-night basis, like teams that are missing their best players, like they're still competing. 
we went on our longest winning streak without Steph, without Wiggins. Like we went on a five game win streak because we were tenacious defensively. We locked in. We were desperate. We had to we had to commit to that end. Be sound. Be aggressive. And I just feel like the way shot making is. You even saw the other night against Cleveland. We hit twenty three threes, and our our top four guys were missing in the in the game. And in Cleveland, they missed Donovan Mitchell. Fine, but. They were head and shoulders, a more talented team, a better team. I mean, they they were like a plus 12, the spread. The spread was like a plus 12 in their favor. I mean, they had no business losing that game, and it was a home game. So when we talk about, like, variance and the way shot making is and the skill gap and the way teams can kind of close a 12-point lead within a few possessions now more than ever, I think that when we talk about parity and all these things, what are your thoughts on league conditions now? And how do you project them going into the playoffs? Because I do think that, that there will be an adjustment in terms of how things are refed, the calls that are made, uh, the physicality that's allowed, all those things. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, could I add? Um, so, of course. yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Dre. Um, I think a trade gives us that extra cushion because, like, a lot of our losses are where, like, one additional serviceable player could make just that much of a difference. Like we have so many games that are that are decided by a couple of possessions. In fact, I think the dubs are five and nine when games are decided by possession in the last minute. So like what if said player we potentially get would give us those additional points and additional stops early in the second or like early in the fourth? I feel like we'd be in a much better position. But at the same time, I think um it still wouldn't solve our season long problems of executing late. So it's just a little bit of everything. And like what you said in terms of like league conditions. I think it just goes to show that we can beat anyone and at the same time we're beatable. So it's just a matter of um, just figuring those little things, those nuances, and um, you know, seeing if a trade could really um, put us in a more favorable direction from there. Jim, Jim, before you go on, on the league conditions, uh, Manu, if, if you're still there, I do want to ask you about, because um, I do know you wanted to discuss a couple of, uh, of things. Uh, in terms of Wiggins, I know you had the uh, the idea of him like falling into uh, settling for perimeter shots now more than ever. And uh, it's not, when I say now more than ever, I'm talking about like this stretch of you know games since he's returned. And uh, I know you want to discuss Kaminga a little bit, which we touched on. Uh, so if you want to discuss that, be uh, go right ahead. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I love Wiggins. Um... He's been so great, like, this whole season. Um, I'm just um, scared that, you know, he might fall into that trap of um, what what happened in the second half of the season where I know he, he just got back from injury and he's still in the process of ramping things up. But I'm hoping he doesn't maintain some of these tendencies moving forward when he is indeed 100%. So um, Wiggs had four drives against the Nets, and while his average is just five drives per game, his shot right now isn't there to save him. As he's kind of rusty, he's missed the longest stretch of his career. That's understandable. I feel like now, more than ever, he just needs to drive more. He was averaging 7.3 drives in the finals. And honestly, you know, we don't need him to be 40% from three. He just needs to be above average from there. And as long as he's able to get his paint points, he'll definitely be better. He'll definitely shoot better. I feel like he just has to attack more a little now. Um, He's felt that sense of urgency in the NBA finals, especially in those games four, five, and six. But, you know, I feel like we need that sense of urgency from him now as well if we want to make a run. 
Um, after the All-Star break last season, uh, Wiggs averaged just 15.7 points per game on 42, 33, and 56. Um, so what did he do to fix that? Um, he became more aggressive. He drove more. He took 34% more field goal attempts from five feet or less in the finals than in that of sec- in that of the second half of the regular season post-All-Star break last season. So, yeah, I think once we get aggressive Wiggs back, I think we'll be fine. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, that's for that's the great. wigs sex, that, section, and, yeah. And before you go, before you go on Kaminga, because I can appreciate your wigs uh, analysis and breakdown, because you're right. Yep. Like it's been noticeable, right? So teams are switching on to him; they're leaving him open from three. And I yep. always say, an open three, an open three is code. It's code for an open layup or or an open driving lane. Like Definitely. you, you can you can put the ball on the floor and attack because there's space, right? If you're open, there's there's multiple feet of space for you to put the ball on the floor and attack. There's not a, there's no even, not even a closeout. No, definitely. And also, I think for the, um, for JK, um, I, I think you guys have touched up upon it. Um, but I mean, he, he's been, he's been fantastic. And, you know, honestly, like in this season, if he's rolling, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind rolling with him to close it out at times. Um, him and Dante, apparently, um, let's say I was on PVP stats and they have a net rating of five together. Like when Dante, when both Dante and Jonathan Kaminga play, um, and that's kind of crazy given like the start of the season. I know Dante was out a bit, but um, just showing like the impact those two have together, and they are also eighteen and ten when they both play. The Warriors are eighteen and ten when they both play, so they are both definitely very big factors. And also goes to show you know how we kind of have start the bench has started to figure it out. It's it's funny because like you know we haven't been able to put everything together like you said like it's always like a different problem each time it feels like a different player or a set of players are carrying us every single game like we're finally performing well during the non-Steph minutes but now Steph isn't performing as good as he was early in the season but yeah um, I, I guess for for that section there yeah all right so we're gonna leave it there I want to thank everybody for listening if you made it this far. Um, we're going to try to, you know, get the band together, uh, down the road, whether it be after the next game or next week, uh, I'm more than happy to have different guests on, uh, this platform. And so let me know, DM me on Twitter if you're interested. Um, and thank you for, uh, for listening and supporting. If you have any feedback, please share. Um, you know, under the reviews or on Twitter at OnBallSteph, O-N-B-A-L-L-S-T-E-P-H. Uh, like I said, I 
None of this matters without your support. So I really do appreciate um, everybody who uh, who listened and hopefully I can you know make it better as we go along. And uh, yeah, so have a good one. Thank you.